erotic nonsense. Want that? They want that. I need that. They really need that. Just give me that. Please give them that. Erotic nonsense. This is erotic nonsense. Welcome to Erotic Nonsense, the podcast where two friends dive into the world of romance literature in order to find each other's and your next great lay, I mean read. (laughs) We'll explore it all, classic bodice ripping historical romance, provocative political thrillers, sexy sci-fi, and everything in between. Every week, we'll each cover one story, no spoilers, we'll share our favorite moments, which of your favorite tropes to expect, and rate its readability, how hot it is, and how romantic it is. We'll let you know if a book passes the vibe check, share any content warnings to watch out for, and most importantly, is it even good? I'm Lauren. And I'm Kendra. Now let the erotic nonsense begin. Hi! Hey! How's it going? Uh, it's going! Yeah. Good. Just everything good. is as normal around here, except that the world is water. Oh, I know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, um, I was playing with Maggie outside yesterday and she had like left one of her little toy buckets like standing upright. Yeah. (laughs) It was full to the brim with rainwater. I know. Yeah. We had like so much. Just spread out fresh mulch. This is such a boring grown up (laughs) conversation thing to say, but um, on our like flower beds. And then the next day is when it started raining so hard. So the mulch is just like, Gone. It was like swimming. No, oh. thank God it's still there, but it is like all over our path and stuff. Yeah, uh, like anyway. floated away. Yep. <laughs> so great that we did that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess I think this is the first time in three weeks that I did not finish my notes today. I finished them yesterday. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> nice work. Um, I definitely just finished mine today. But I had, I was like, com- I knew I didn't have a lot of work today, so I was like comfortable getting them done even though it was technically the last minute I wasn't panicking nice yeah okay that makes sense um well nice that must feel like a huge accomplishment yeah well it actually allowed me to do like a little bit extra research on my deep dive um, because I remembered a podcast about it from like 10 years ago and I'll talk about it a little bit but wow. like and I so I then I had time to go back and re-listen to that episode a podcast from 10 years ago it That's was one like of the first early. podcasts I like ever got into yeah is this is it a how stuff works podcast it is yep yeah. it's stuff mom never told you <laughs> oh man that was I like know. one of my original favorites I remember yeah. cleaning houses in college and listening to that I when so this was like 2011 Mm -hmm. so and I remember like we were all like graduated and like back from college and hanging out and I totally remember talking about that podcast with our friends like you and our other girlfriends yeah oh my god I can't wait to hear what it's about but yeah that (laughs) is way back and stuff you missed in history class that was that one was another yeah yeah Yeah. oh so cool back when I used to commute on TriMet and just listen to podcasts do you ever miss commuting on public transit yeah I totally do I wish I could still get away with that yeah I mean life was so different then like I mean I had like I was in grad school so I had classes and stuff Mm -hmm. um but like I feel like it just like being on time was like never that as important you know like you could rely on yeah public transport reasonably regular you just have to like always yeah well and then like one out of every like 10 times you're 
bus or train might just not, not even show, show up at all. At all. <laughs> yes, that's true. But I there's something like so relaxing about it. I would always bring a oh, book yeah. for yep. yeah and just like sit and read mm-hmm. and on the way home from class or work or whatever. It was so nice. Mm-hmm. And now my car is like my second office. That's uh-huh. like what I make all my <laughs> yeah. phone calls. And yeah. you know, it is still I like miss it. kind of peaceful, but yeah. 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 Not quite the same. Um, although sometimes riding the bus like late at night could be terrifying, but yeah, I, I think maybe I just miss that time in my life. That, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a grass is greener type of situation because like lots of things about being that age are very hard. So. Oh my God, for sure. Yeah. No, I, we were like super broke yeah. and um, yeah, yeah, couldn't do anything, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was, there was so much, so much less responsibility. It was, I appreciate for that sure. now. For sure. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Well, should we get started? Oh, well, actually, I wanted to remind oh. our listeners yes. um, that we would love to hear from you. Um, our email address is eroticnonsensepod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also message us on Instagram um, or through our website. Um, I think that those will all go to the same email. Yeah. Um, essentially. But, um, yeah, we want to hear um, suggestions thoughts um just comments yeah um yeah if, what you like what you don't like um anything and everything Definitely. let us know all feedback is helpful mm-hmm. and or just say hi so yeah, we would exactly. love to hear from you yeah um all right well what are we drinking tonight oh my goodness okay so we are drinking uh <laughs> so it's it's based on a cocktail called a south side okay um but my book had um it was like plant and flower garden oriented um so i am calling it a garden side nice (laughs) i love that um and it is two ounces of gin one ounce of lime juice three-fourths ounce simple syrup one one fresh mint leaf and one sprig of mint (laughs) (laughs) um so you combine the gin lime juice simple syrup and the mint sprig in a shaker Add ice and shake vigorously, strain into a chilled martini glass, and then garnish Mm. with a mint leaf. (laughs) Beautiful. It is very springy and delicious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Awesome. Well, shall we take a quick break? Yes, let's do it. Okay. All right. All right, we're back. You ready to go? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so this week I read Tahira in Bloom. By Farah Heron. Um, and I will go ahead and read the back of the book. Okay. When 17-year-old aspiring designer Tahira John Muhammad's coveted fashion internship falls through, her parents have a plan B. Tahira will work with, in her aunt's boutique in the small town of Bakewell, the flower capital mm. of Ontario. It's only for the summer, and she'll get the experience she needs for her college application. Plus, her best friend is coming along. It won't be that bad. But she just can't deal with Rowan Johnston, the rude, totally obsessed, <laughs> obsessive garden nerd next door with frayed cutoffs and terrible shoes. Not to mention his sharp jawline, smoldering eyes, and soft lips. So irritating. <laughs> Rowan is also just the plant boy Tahira needs to help win the Bakewell Flower Arranging Contest, an event that carries clout in New York City, of all places, and with designers, of all people, connections that she needs. 
No one is more surprised than Tahira to learn that the floral design is almost as great as fashion design. And Rowan, turns out he's more than ironic shirts and soil under the fingernails. <laughs> Tahira is about to find out what she's really made of and made for. Because here in the middle of nowhere, Tahira is just beginning to bloom. Oh, that's very cute. I also love how so many back of books are like, main character's life is ruined, but and now they have to spend their summer doing like yeah. my dream life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's accurate. Um, so just to put in here, um, this is not a romance novel. <laughs> oh, no, really? So, I know. It yeah, sounds I like one <laughs> for misunderstanding the assignment. Um, so it's a it's a young adult novel. It's um, okay. Well, it could be YA romance. Though. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just not explicit. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's YA. It's, I mean, the characters are 17 and 18. Um, anyway, and I actually, like, when I actually went back and read the, like, blurb about this one, I realized, um, so the author is, has, like, two, like, fairly popular romance novels, and then this is, like, her young adult debut novels, like, how it's described. Yeah, I totally missed that part. Um, but, I mean, I, I kind of thought it, it still, like, fits the... Uh, I think it still fits the podcast. Our rating system is a little, didn't feel quite right, but we'll get to that um, right. when I get to that part. Well, mine's filthy, so balance, <laughs> balance it out. Balance <laughs> out. Um, okay, so casting this book. Um, so I have Grace Ann Pulapali as Tahira. And she plays young Tahani in The Good Place. Oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually kind of imagined her to hear as Tahani. <laughs> um, just like their names are very similar in general. Um, but to, like the actor that plays Tahani, uh, mm-hmm. Jamila Jamil. Or, Jamila Jamil. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. She is like a little too old older obviously than yeah. like a teenager so yeah <laughs> um and then uh for rowan um i have ketter williams sterling who have you seen sex education no it's been <laughs> on my list forever yeah. he plays the like uh the like hot class president cool guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> um anyway so main tropes, um, it's small town, coming of age. There's a little bit of forced proximity. Um, there's like a, there's like a contest in there, you know, there's like <laughs> lots of, um, lots of sort of like small nods, but again, I, I don't think it like really fits any of the tropes. I like, okay. it's a coming of age, you know? Yeah. So, um, anyway. Okay. So, um, where are we? Uh, okay, so as an older millennial, <laughs> okay, there were parts of this book that felt a little uncomfortable. I don't know. I just oh, like really? it made me feel out of touch with youth culture. Oh no! <laughs> and like, um, I mean, I like I don't know how accurate it is or how it resonates with young people I think that's like part of the problem is like it wasn't written for me you Mm -hmm. know um so I can't speak to that aspect but I feel like as a from like a feminist point of view um and from a point of view of someone who appreciates um diversity and representation like I think it's a great book for young people to read sure um and definitely a better young adult book than 
was available when we were teenagers. I mean, young adult, like, wasn't even a genre yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, like, it's, like, one of those things where I am, like, in the middle. Like, this, the author wrote this book for her daughter, who I think is a teen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I feel like I'm, like, caught in the middle a little bit. Like, I definitely don't relate to the teenage characters, but I don't quite relate to the parents yet Interesting. either. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. It's, I'm, like, I feel a little caught in between. Um and Can I, I mean, like, what is it about the story that makes it feel, like, too young for you? Like, why can't you relate to the main character? Um, well, okay, I get into it a little bit more. I, okay. Like, for the characters, like, first of all, I didn't really, I was not that into the plot. Like, oh, yeah. flower arranging is, like, eh. So that was, like, actually, I mean, normally, like, with a romance yeah. novel, it's, like, that's happening, but, like, that's not really what it's about. There'll be, like, a couple lines about why they're at this, like, flower show, but then it's all about the relationship. So there really wasn't that much about, like, it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, like, actually about flower arranging I mean (laughs) kind of well and then like the other part is that she is an aspiring fashion designer so like a little bit you know I sew and she Mm -hmm. to design or whatever she sews her clothes like a little bit but I also I'm like not that interested in like fashion in the same way that the Mm -hmm. main character was yeah so I think just the themes didn't quite hit their mark with me personally um and then so in terms of not relating to the characters they for being so young um I just felt like they were so, like, serious. And they took themselves really seriously. And um, they all, like, they're all described as, like, knowing themselves really well and, like, knowing exactly what they want. Like, she mm-hmm. knows she wants to be a fashion designer. Um, yeah. And I that just, like, didn't really ring true for me for a lot of people that age. You know, like, you, you know, there's always, like, one or two people who I felt like knows what they want and you know but I feel like in general teens are like very you know even if they don't maybe say it out loud or admit it to their friends like that's one of the lovely things about a coming of age novel is like watching someone struggle with you know knowing what they want to do yeah I get what you're saying I I mean I definitely think there are some kids that age who think they know who they are or think they know what they want that's fair you know but like maybe you you just aren't like a fully formed Mm -hmm. adult I mean when are we ever like sure of what we want out of our entire lives but I think that's the point is that at that age a lot of people are not aware of the Mm -hmm. fact that you never know like what you really want out of life and that that changes changes and you're constantly yeah. evolving. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, I do, yeah. I also, I, I mean, I also felt like they, like there was like no struggle, you know, like they mm. weren't worried about like interacting with adults or getting jobs or, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah I don't know. There was just like something missing. Not very realistic. Um, uh, and then the adults in the novel, and I think this is true for like a lot of, um, young adult novels is the adults were all very like one dimensional, you know, they, they don't oh, yeah. show like complex yeah. adults. Cause like the, you know, and when you're that age, you know, adults, you, you adults look like they have it all together. And like, you think all adults yes. are adults. And well, or you hardly think about them at all. <laughs> right. That's what I think. You know, it's like that part maybe rings true in that for teenagers, yeah. they're like that, you know, adults, their lives are over. Right. <laughs> right. Like only I have an inner life. Right. Um, anyway. Okay. So those are sort of the things that I like didn't really care for. But um, like 
the book did do a great job of showing things like that are often missing, or at least I, things that I felt were missing from uh, young adult novels when yeah. we were younger, like dealing with racism and actually in like a little bit of a complex way. Like um, they discuss like in detail uh, microaggressions. Oh yeah. Um, and how like the people who are engaging in things like microaggressions, like might not even be fully aware that they're doing it. Um, and it's not like the job of the victim to educate the offender. Yeah. Um, but it, it is also true that the people engaging in it can learn what's happening and mm-hmm. change, especially, especially as young people. Um, so, and it, I feel like it did actually address that like pretty well and like That's presented awesome. like a pretty complex, I mean, you know, uh, complex that in many sense, you know, like as you experience it for like as a young person, like it's hard to put those things into words. So I feel like it did oh, yeah. like it gave a good description and it gave labels for things like that. So like if there is a reader who is seeing it, they can be like, yeah, like I felt like that was wrong, but I didn't know how to describe it. Yeah. Like, like being given the language for what you feel right. and experience. That's right. So, I mean, obviously it sucks that, a 17-year-old kid has to deal mm-hmm. with microaggressions. But, like, it's amazing the language that kids have for it mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, and it does give me a lot of hope for the future, Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, and then there's also – there's a story in the book um, where the main character um, – so she is an Indian Muslim, but she does not wear a hijab. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talks about this experience where she was actually, like, passed over for something, um, and they ended up picking uh, – a girl who did wear a hijab. So she was like passed over for not being like the right type of Muslim. Right. Um, Yeah. So like, I feel like that's like another, a a complex thing for, you know, teens to think about um, and learn. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, So those things I felt like were done really well. And so, you know, for, a young adult novel it's like well okay it doesn't maybe it doesn't have to do everything well like you know like, yeah <laughs> um and there's also like the main relationship in the book is interracial there's a pansexual character um and uh i actually felt like the female friendships in this book overshadowed the romantic story well that's not a bad so, thing like, yeah. Her, yeah and um and it's presented in a way that is also complex so like her best friend that she like starts the summer with yeah by the end of the summer they're not really friends anymore you know Aww. and it's kind of like that that way of like learning that you know friendships aren't for life mm-hmm. um and it's kind of it's okay to you know distance yourself from someone it's not your job to teach them how to be a better person yeah um and you know sometimes the best thing you can do for them is let them go mm-hmm. and you know learn on their own um so, overall, um, I didn't really, like, I I can see how people would enjoy it. I sort of felt like I was just, like, getting through the slog to the end. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's a good book. And um, if there are, like, aspiring teenage uh, fashion designers or <laughs> floral designers in your life, like, I think they would enjoy it. And or just any, book. like, motivated, yeah. and, you know, driven teen. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, so I'm two ratings now. Um, and so I would say overall, I gave it like a three, 3.5. Um, 
readability like three three point five. I don't feel like there's it's not explicit. There's like they talk about they do mention sex, mm-hmm. um, and the main character mentions it as in like her and her boyfriend have not had sex yet. Okay, but like that's pretty much it and that's how they leave it yeah um so i don't really feel like i should be rating it with like hotness or (laughs) romance you know it was not particularly romantic um you know like and like i i think there are teen stories out there that are really romantic definitely i mean there are yeah like i said there's definitely ya romance that's Mm -hmm. like it's romance it just you know it's like fade to black or it's yeah you know whatever but this doesn't sound like like that it's yeah you know, I mean I else. yeah I it's it was written by a romance author so I think that was and I have not read any of her others um mm-hmm. but they do they do seem really popular like their ratings were really high and had some really good reviews cool um okay so vibe check like yes I think it passed the vibe check with flying colors yeah um, sounds like it a few minor content warnings um one of the characters has homophobic family members there's some like gaslighting and bullying um and we talked about racism already mm-hmm. a little bit um and then there's also cheating oh. by side character so. got it all right all right favorite line and this is this is from the beginning, um, kind of like the intro. Okay. Um, but what I wanted most in the world was success in the fashion industry, and my parents were here to help me get it. Most people who made it big in fashion, and I mean really big, had help from family. Maybe their mother was a style editor for Vogue, or their dad knew the creative director at Gucci, or they had a godmother with a house in the Hamptons next to Tom Ford's. But the only longstanding connection in fashion my family had was maybe some clout with Spadina Avenue fabric stores <laughs> and that one sorry store on Gerard Street that gave my mom the best deals. I was too Canadian, too brown, and too Muslim to have built an to have built an upper hand in the style world. So my parents made up for it by teaching me how to hustle times three. Thanks to them, I had grit, determination, and Asian ambition bred into me since birth, and that meant I had no choice really. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it sounds like a very sweet book. Yes. Um, yeah. All right. Now for the part I am most excited for. Okay. My deep dive. Where are we going? All right. So, as promised last week. Oh, all right. <laughs> so, I got into the possible reasons why humans kiss. I can't wait to hear. Science me. <laughs> All right, so uh, sources for this were a number of articles, um, bbc.com, the reasons humans started kissing, healthline.com, why do we kiss, bustle.com, why do we kiss romantically, the science behind smooching, Um, fizz.org, I did not write down the name of that one. Oh, no, that's an article that I'll... uh, site later okay um and then the how stuff works uh yeah podcast on kissing um okay so there are two sort of like theories on like why humans kiss um first that it's a learned behavior taught generation to generation um and second is that it is instinctual and that even if you were cut off from uh your parents or you know whatever you, you would, would like still, still do it if you met societies yeah, would still it. kiss yeah um so the learned behavior theory is basically that it had to do with um 
how early humans fed their babies. So Hmm. it maybe would have started with mother, with like a mother child bond over lip to lip kissing um, due to pre mastication food transfer. So that basically means that somewhere in our evolutionary history, the mothers would have like chewed food and then passed it to their offspring. Like a bird. Mouth to mouth. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, and there's actually also some, uh, there was some other stuff too about like, breastfeeding and like just the the feeling of like your mouth or like you being fed is like a comfort thing mm-hmm. and then that comfort thing um kind of you know transferred over time into just like a way of showing affection mm-hmm. and then that bled into um like a romantic. romance yeah. yeah so okay uh, and so that yeah and so that would have been uh practiced among um other members of their group or tribe and past generation to generation. Okay. Um, so the instinctual theory is, it's like a little more complicated, um, but it's basically tied to how you humans evolved as social creatures um, and the practice of allowing other people to be cl- close. So the practice of being allowing other people to be close to your face um, would have been beneficial to you or to your group in some way um so it was maybe beneficial to our ancestors to be able to show trust Mm -hmm. um or allow for better communication or possibly related to grooming (laughs) what yeah okay an example of this possible uh instinct theory um is in bonobo apes okay so researchers have found that bonobo apes do kiss each other frequently um and reasons that researchers found that the kissing happens um, seems to be to reduce tension after disputes, to reassure each other, to develop social bonds, and then there's also sometimes with no apparent reason. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So this is, but it's like among any member of their community. Mm-hmm. It's not like with a partner. Right. I'll, I'll get into it, the, okay. the difference um, between platonic and romance mm-hmm. at the end. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, uh, okay, so the oldest evidence of kissing is in four Vedic, Vedic um, Sanskrit texts um, from 1500 BC or 3500 years ago. Okay. So these texts appear to describe people kissing. um, And after that, there is a description of kissing on the lips as a sign of affection in the Indian epic poem Mahabharata. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was written down around 350 AD, but it was likely passed down orally before that. Yeah. Um, and then moving on to the Indian religious text, the Vatasayana Kama Sutram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ever heard of it? <laughs> what? No, never. Actually, I'm shocked it hasn't come up on our podcast before. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Known colloquially as the Kama Sutra. So it was written in the 6th century AD and describes a variety of kissing, um, including, you know, sexual kissing. So Mm -hmm. um, researchers who uh, believe kissing is a learned behavior say that uh, Greeks learned about kissing when Alexander the Great invaded India in 326 BC and that it originated in India. Interesting thought. Yeah, Yeah. I'm like, that's... I sort of love that idea mm-hmm. of, like, Greeks were a pretty horny bunch, mm-hmm. generally. So them, like, going to a new country and being like, oh, shit, you guys are doing what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that totally makes sense to me. 
Sorry. I just laughed hard directly into my microphone. <laughs> um, okay, so in the Western world, there it's true that there aren't many records of kissing until the Roman Empire. Okay. So Romans used kisses to greet friends and families, um, and citizens kissed rulers' hands. And the Romans actually had three categories for kissing. So osculum was a kiss on the cheek. Basium was a kiss on the lips, and Savolium was a deep kiss. Ooh, so <laughs> that's like a French kiss. I like think guessing. so, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get all into the history, but um, just in the early Christian church, um, there, like kissing was a big thing, and it was like a it was like a holy thing, right? Okay. Um, the like osculum passes, holy kiss, um, and so. It, like, they used it for a lot of, like, religious things. Like, it, they think that that's why, like, couples kiss after getting married. It's, like, oh, it was, yeah. like, a sign of, like, sealing a thing okay. at the end of whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Kind of uh, like a handshake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's sort of, like, a little bit of, like, the history of, like, things that we know about possibly the way um, it moved through the world. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so moving on to some science. Um, it is true that our lips are packed with sensitive nerve endings and like way more than any other touch receptive orga- <laughs> organs. <laughs> <laughs> any touch receptive what now? <laughs> um, so they, they are like our most exposed erogenous zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a very significant way in which we um, interpret the world. Like any parent of a small child knows that, you know, the way Oral that the babies explore things oh, first yeah. is with their mouths. Oh, yeah. They pick it up, they put it in their mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, you know, you know, a little bit of it is like trying to figure out if it's food, but like I, like it's not really I that. It's yeah. just, it's like an extension. It's like, oh, this is what it feels like in my hand. This is what it feels N- like in my mouth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a sensory thing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then like also related to that sensitive touch receptor, we also have a very big scent receptor close by, um, and kissing kind of engages all of our senses, you know, that touch, taste, smell. Um, and so that smelling thing is actually possibly, um, a, a possibly big reason why we kiss. Really? So, um... There was this study, um, and it, I actually, so I remembered this podcast yeah, that yeah. we listened to 10 years ago, yep. <laughs> talking about this study. Like, I remember this exact example because it, like, grossed me out and blew my mind. Um, so the study was from, I think it was from 1995, um, and so they, the study basically proved that women are more attracted to men whose genetic immunity are most different from their own. I totally remember this mm-hmm. now. I think there's an Adam ruins everything about this too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know that much about genetic immunity, like, uh, but basically there are a set of genes, um, and it's called the MHC for short. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. <laughs> okay. Uh, MHC. So those set of genes code for immunity. Um, and so how they did this study, um, is they had each male participant wore a t-shirt for two consecutive nights, and then they had a female participant smell the t-shirt and 
they were told to like rank how yes. attractive they thought that I scent was. Totally remember this study. Yeah. Like, it's yes. My but and <laughs> it actually like I didn't read the numbers and it is kind of old. It's pretty old now. Yeah. Um, so I'm like wondering if it has been repeated or like what. I'm yeah. sure there's been more research. Um, I didn't see anything new on this particular thing though. So. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah. So and then like the. The women scored the odor of shirts from male participants, and they found that they had MHC that was most, most different. different from their own. That's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. But I also don't – immunity is like a – it's not in your, like, genetics that you're born with necessarily because you, like, build immunity, right? Well, or it's, it's a complex system. So yeah. there are genes that code for certain kinds of immunity. Right. And I don't know exactly what that means. Like it's different from your immune system, obviously, you know, your right. immune system needs exposure to learn. Right. So yeah. Right. And it like can forget, you know, like it needs to be like, which right. is why we have like vaccines, right. And why we get booster mm-hmm. shots for stuff because yeah. You know, so yeah. Yeah. That part of our immune system or whatever is not necessarily genetic, but the things that happen, to get to that point right. are maybe genetic. So, yeah. and then, I mean, there's lots of different kinds of immunity too. So like, I don't know if this is, I don't know, immune from genetic disorders. Right. I don't know. Like the, someone who, yeah. not the kind of science that I did. Yes. You know, no, I mean, it, it's so. so complex, but yeah. it's fascinating. Um, right. So I have more, but like kind of between the two theories of this like learned behavior versus, um, uh, it being instinct, I kind of think it's a little of both. I was, yeah. Right? Like it's instinct to want to get up next to someone um, and possibly like suss out a mate. And, mm-hmm. you know, this maybe proves it that like you can possibly sense by smell who might give you the best genetic offspring. Yeah. Um, but then it's not necessarily uh, kissing on the lips, you know, like I think that particular practice of kissing on the lips during this sussing out uh, was a learned behavior and passed down and... And just, like, happened to evolve alongside things because, yeah. like, we were already... Mm-hmm. I mean, you're getting close. Intimacy is, right. like, such an yes. interesting... Um, yes, and I have some more... Um, Tell me. <laughs> yeah, I have some more examples of, like, why this is probably true. Okay. Okay, so in 2015, a study of 168 cultures, cultures from around the world, um, and it, it, this was a... Uh, this was a article like a scientific article written that I did not read so I only read the summary so I don't know very many more details okay other than what I'm about to tell you so don't ask questions (laughs) okay okay Um, okay, so of 168 cultures from around the world, they found that only 46% use lip-to-lip lip kissing um, in a romantic sense. What? Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, my so, and God. And it's not, it's not 46% of people in the world. It's no, of no. cultures. Yes, so totally. So of people in the world right now, they say, like, 90% right. kiss. Okay. Um, but, but still, that's surprising mm-hmm. that there's, like, so many cultural groups that don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Some of these cultures do other similar things. Okay. So um, the so-called Malay kiss, which was described by Darwin, um, it it's like women would like bend or squat down like under their man, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, their partner, and then the men would like hang over them to like smell them. Hmm. I mean, that so, does sound hella intimate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that I mean, that's again like scent. Um, yeah. Okay. 
Um, and then there's another example of uh, the Trobriand Island. Uh, uh, yeah, off the coast of Papua New Guinea. So lovers sit face to face and they nibble, nibble at each other's eyelashes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like very sweet and mm-hmm. tender. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It also makes me think about like what other things are we doing differently mm-hmm. in terms of like how we get it on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because kissing is like such a part of, I mean, mm-hmm. not always, obviously, but it, it's generally such a part of sex and like um sort of preparing for sex you know like mm-hmm. in terms of like getting ready mm-hmm. and like able to have penetrative sex mm-hmm. um especially like for someone with a vagina <laughs> you it, know it's like part of getting warmed up right I, yeah so. I didn't include a lot of that in these notes but I do remember reading that it's like a huge release of serotonin yeah. and they there was like a whole bunch of studies that me- measured different um uh, hormone levels and the stress hormone cortisol, I mm-hmm. think it is, went like way down after kissing. Yeah. So like it's a stress reliever. It releases the happy juices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just like eases mm-hmm. mating, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's, I'm like, it makes me curious now I want to learn about like foreplay in different yeah. cultures. Like, okay, if not oh, everyone is kissing, what are they doing? really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's also a lot of stuff from the original Kama Sutra that, um, has sort of been like lost by popular culture, you know, like oh. like certain things have been fixated on and like talked about a lot, like the so, positions but like, or whatever. Oh, but yeah. there's, I think there's a lot more in there, like in there that just doesn't that get talked per- about. Yeah, so that would yeah. probably be a big um, source yeah. for that kind of thing. Interesting. Um, okay, so lastly, a little bit about the difference between romantic kissing and platonic kissing. Kissing. Um, so based on all the evidence and everything I've read, like we don't really know why this practice is both like a sign of familiar familial or um, friendship um, affection um, as well as this like hot turn on between mm-hmm. partners. Um, but I think one uh, possible idea that was put forth um, is that uh, it kind of has to do with like the distinction between like, friend and love interest is like that distinction is like very modern Mm -hmm. and like possibly the practice of kissing kind of like predates well obviously it predates the notion of like modern relationships like yeah so like early kissing was more of like a way to sort of like suss out the person you're next to to kind of like see if they're interested in a sexual encounter Um, so you know that's where you could be like you know it's like it's like oh I'm gonna like smell you like would you be a good sexual partner would you you know Mm -hmm. and then it's like oh and are you into it you know right like how do they receive it yeah yeah like that so um and I and it's so like the the like familial thing versus the romantic thing like in early hunter-gatherer like scenarios Mm -hmm. like that whole idea of like not getting it on with your family, maybe not such a big deal, you know? Right, like, right. So. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't even have to go that far back. <laughs> it's like, I mean, like, <laughs> for immediate family, yes, but, like, how long ago were people marrying their cousins? Like, like 150 years yeah, ago. Yeah, not that long. <laughs> yeah, like three generations back. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's definitely a modern. Spurks. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Um, yeah. Uh, negative chins. 
fascinating. I know. I kind of like, I feel like it ended up being, this research ended up being like, like all of my research is always like, oh, well, we don't really know why. Um, but <laughs> what the we theories... learned is we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, great job. Um, should we take a quick break? Yes. Okay. All right. My turn. Let's do so. it. <laughs> My book was not YA, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, so I read A Heart of Blood and Ashes by Milla Vane. Not to be confused with From Blood and Ash by Jennifer Why? L. Armentrout. All the titles have Blood all and the Ash same. in them. <laughs> um, I definitely also read From Blood and Ash last year and honestly would love to do it for this podcast sometime, but it'll be a reread. So we'll see if we ever get that <laughs> to reread level. But um, okay. So this one is a much smaller, less popular book than that one. So I'll start with the back of book. A generation ago, the Western realms were embroiled in endless war. Then the destroyer came. From the blood and ashes he left behind, a tenuous alliance rose between the barbarian riders of Parsath and the walled kingdoms of the south. This alliance is all that stands against the return of an ancient evil until the barbarian king and queen are slain in an act of bloody betrayal. Though forbidden by the alliance council to kill the corrupt king responsible for his parents' murders, Maddox vows to avenge them, even if it costs him the per... per the Parsathian crown. But when he learns that it was the king's daughter who lured his parents to their deaths, the barbarian warrior is determined to make her pay. Yet the woman Maddox captures is not who he expected. Despite being last in the line of legendary warrior queens, Yven is small and weak, and the sharpest weapons she wields are her mind and her tongue. Even more surprising is the marriage she proposes to unite them in their goals and to help them claim their thrones, because her desire for vengeance against her father burns even hotter than Maddox. Maddox? Maddox. M-A-D-D-E-K. Okay. So it's, uh, you can tell from the cover, it is like a Viking warrior romance. Is it fantasy? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I, like, yeah. Couldn't, I was like, wait. <laughs> yes, it's big time fantasy. Okay. There's magic. Um, gotcha. And it's like a... It's a dark romance, and it's, like, mostly it's Viking-y, so the Parsathians or whatever, mm-hmm. that's, like, what Matic is. They are definitely, like, straight-up Vikings. They wear leather armor and, like, no, like they go bare-chested mm-hmm. and all of that. But there are also knights who, like, wear metal suits of armor oh. and all that. So it's, like, kind of medieval okay. in timeline. Okay. Um, but, I mean, it's a totally invented fantasy world. So. Gotcha. Um, all right. For the cast, I have mm. Carl Urban as Maddox. So that's Aomer. Okay. From yeah. I was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's in a million things, but yes. um, love him. And then I have Zoe Saldana as Eva. Mm. Okay. So main tropes. Um, I mean, it's a dark romance. So like everything that comes along with that. And then it's definitely enemies to lovers. Uh, marriage of Convenience, which is top tier. Love mm-hmm. Marriage of Convenience. Um, it is also a virgin heroine, which, again, I like. I feel like I say this every time, mm-hmm. that normally I'm not into it. Oh, okay. However, it it's done pretty well in this one okay. and, like, sensitively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think it's, like, it's just when it's handled badly, it's terrible. But when it's handled nicely it's nice you know like when it's realistic and careful and yeah 
Anyway. Okay, so overall thoughts. Um, well, I'm just going to open with the fact that this book is not for everybody. Okay. Um, it's definitely like fantasy romance. And it reads uh-huh. like the driest fucking high fantasy. <laughs> um, and so it's like somehow both incredibly deep and a somewhat shallow fantasy world the world building is pretty extensive um and the cast of characters is honestly like way too fucking big for a romance um there's way too many characters to learn and i like still don't know all their names a, a little uh middle earth vibe going on like on a scale of zero to to middle earth (laughs) like how complex it's like past middle earth it's like we're in like mists of avalon territory or like priory of the orange tree it's like there's a cast i mean it's not actually that many but for a romance it's way too many (laughs) like i you're just like immediately thrown in with like his whole band of warriors and you have to learn like 10 names in the first like like six pages Oh, fantasy God. names. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely made up. Like you know. Anyway, that gives me similar similar. I can never Silmarillion. Say yes. <laughs> yes. T- Tolkien vibes. Yes. Like, yeah. Trying to read that. It's like well, so and so begot so and so and blah 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 yeah. and so and so. Well, like, oh I mean, my God, stop. The Silmarillion is a history book. It's not a novel. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I actually have that in here. I'm like, it makes Tolkien's dialogue seem like warm and friendly and easy, <laughs> accessible. Um, so it, it does, it, it does avoid info dumping, which is nice. That's hard with like a major world building kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I appreciate that, but it it kind of like goes too far in the other direction and that it just like throws you into the deep end and starts like throwing around words and cultures and like everything without any explanation. So, um, there were, like I said, there were so many proper nouns thrown at the reader in just the first, like, three pages. Like, a dozen character names, multiple place names, names of different peoples and cultures, creature names. It's just, like, everything. And I'm just, like, <laughs> like I like You're, like, flipping back. Juggle. You're, like, wait, yes. what? <laughs> no, I just, like, immediately gave up. I was, like, I'm just going to, like, keep track of the two mains and I consider everyone else, like, one other character. <laughs> like, there's one good character and one bad character. And it's just, like, that's all I had to keep track of. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. Um. This is a dual point of view, dark barbarian romance. Um, So Yven, the female lead in this one, is the last in the line of warrior queens. So they were all like badass, like legit warriors. Like they like slew gods and like all kinds of crazy shit. And then were also like beloved queens of their people. Um, but she has been kept in a locked tower her whole life, and she's like sickly and weak. As um, she would be. Yes, of course. And um, she's also been tortured by her brothers and father. She's missing several fingers, which they cut off after she killed someone with a bow and arrow. Her brother. Um, oh. And she can't run or climb because her father and brothers shattered her kneecap just like two years ago. So she like can't climb stairs. Oh, like she's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Um, and so she reaches out to Matic. So and no one knows that she exists. Like her people don't know she exists. They think that, and it's like the um, throne is supposed to pass through the female line. Uh-huh. And so they think there is no girl mm. born in this generation. Um, so she reaches out to Matic, like through a maid or whatever, offering to marry him to form an alliance between their people so that she can take her throne and he can avenge his parents, whatever. 
Um, and they can kill her dad. But Maddox believes, like it said in the back of the book, that she was part of the plot to kill his parents. So he agrees in order to exact vengeance. But basically, he's like, I'll do this, but I hate you. Mm. Like, you know, and he's like, I will treat you like a dog, whatever. Um, formal language, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and this is where the dark romance comes in, because, like, it's a little rough in the first like quarter of the book um the way he treats her and like their relationship like there's a sexual encounter before they've formed any kind of bond or understanding of each other um and yeah but but it is aside from that one sexual encounter it is pretty mild and it's not very long-lived he's like a total simp for her within like three days (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's slow they spend the whole book traveling like Mm. trying to get home which is like there's something about a book that's like all travel to get to a place that like gives me anxiety Mm -hmm. that I'm like can you ever get anywhere and do anything you know it's like in this constant state of like limbo I feel like that's like every Game of Thrones novel oh 100% (laughs) yes but I'm just like I'm I keep like I can't put the book down because I'm like I just need you to get somewhere (laughs) um yes exactly like that um and it's like I can just only read about someone's saddle sores so many times in one I, book. As a person who backpacks, I just find the like finding of food unrealistic. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's total bullshit. And like water and like, convenient. Yeah. yeah, well, or like they don't even mention water. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like yeah, it's bullshit. <laughs> um, but their chemistry is pretty good. Uh, she is like has a brilliant mind for strategy. She loves her people. She definitely seems like she would be a great queen. Um, obviously she's been through some shit, so she, like, really understands, and she has this, like, whole thing about, like, she's, like, it's, like, ten times in the book, she's, like, a queen never cries where people can see her, and it's, like, because, like, if you're a queen and you're going through hard shit, imagine what your people are going through. Mm-hmm. Like, you okay. are always have it the best of everyone, so, mm-hmm. like, no fucking complaining mm-hmm. is her whole thing. Um, she's really confident in her knowledge and her ability to lead. She did, like, spend many years trapped in that tower with her mom, who had been crippled after leading and, like, being... So, like, her mom, like, trained her. her. Yes. Okay. Um, so she's, like, she knows shit. She's super smart and is, like, I'm super smart. Like, she totally believes in herself. She knows she's smart, yeah. Yes. Which is awesome. Um, but she also is like, also, I was in a tower for my whole life, so there's a bunch of shit I don't know, and I want to learn it. Like, she's really mm-hmm. into that. She wants to, like, learn how to hunt, and she's like, teach me how to ride a horse better, and, like, everything. It's really cool. Um, Maddox is just, like, a big old brute with, like, a heart of gold or whatever. I mean, dark romance, so take that with a grain of salt. Uh, Kaljurogo, I'm on Game of Thrones I mean, now. yeah, you are. Which <laughs> <laughs> totally makes sense, and yes, that's definitely okay. the vibe. Um, and he is also open and willing to learn from her. He's like, I don't know shit about politics. Teach me, and okay, I'll t- cool, teach yeah. you how to like kill this animal and eat it. Um, <laughs> and he takes her lessons very seriously and like sees her abilities for what they are. Um, and their, like, skills and open-mindedness really complement each other. Um, and so he's a bit brutal in the beginning of the book, um, but the world itself is, like, pretty great and feminist. Um, there isn't any, like, non-binary representation or anything like that, but it is both men and women are warriors and leaders in this world. There's, like, you know, 
sometimes it's nice to just like read a book where women get to do shit. Yeah. Um, and sexuality is extremely fluid. Oh, okay. And people are very open about it. Um, characters are open to all kinds of experiences and people. Pe- they come in all different shapes and colors. Mm. People do, which is nice. Yvette, though, pictured on the audiobook cover as a white woman. Mm. Thanks for nothing, publishers. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Is described as having brown skin and curly black hair. So. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, anyway. But it's awesome. Like, the book is great. And, like, many of the characters are described as, like, I mean, a lot of it's left kind of ambiguous. But. It, it, yeah. And kind of like the way that fantasy does. Yeah. 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 That's a little bit, like, choose your own adventure in terms mm-hmm. of, like, how you want to see the characters. But, um, yeah. I mean, it's nice to see just any kind of not all white representation mm-hmm. in fantasy. Um, if you like epic high fantasy in a medieval setting with like a slightly feminist slant and some just filthy sex, you will probably dig it. Okay, so I have a question. Yeah. Because when I did my deep dive about dark romance, uh-huh. um, what I sort of found was that like dark romance inherently means like dubious consent. Is that what you were kind of describing with that no actually it's not so um that's a good point that is how it's like how it's described by the author so that's why i used that term Uh i probably would not have applied that term on my own if i hadn't seen the author describe it as such um but basically like when they first meet they have this like really charged interaction it's like he goes looking for um her family because he's sure that they have been the ones to kill his parents okay and then he finds her and he's like all right well i'm gonna fucking flay the shit out of you and toss you over your dad's castle walls as like a okay you know vengeance or whatever but then she is like no, this is what we should do. I also want to kill my dad. Let's get married. Then I can claim my throne. Our child will be like a huge fucking badass ruler. And then we can kill my dad together. And he's like, I don't think you're cool, but I will do that. (laughs) Okay. But then their like whole thing is like, so they're like, so into each other slash hate each other in the beginning. Okay. And he like immediately, I mean, it's just that like, she can't give true consent in that situation because she's, like, held by him and his people. Okay. I would call that dubious consent. It is. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's not... That is the only incident of it. Okay. Um. Yes. So. I, okay. So, dark romance, like, as I sort of, like, found mm-hmm. in my whatever deep dive was, like, a sort of code for, like, possibly not clear 100% consent. Yes, so, like, blur, like blurred lines. I whatever. would say that that falls under that line. Yes, so, like, I'd it say does. that all tracks. Yeah, okay. yeah. The rest of their encounters are very, like, well, I don't actually like you, but let's do it. And That's they're both love-hate relationships. It is, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's, like, it's like just in the first quarter of the book okay. that that yeah, dark yeah, yeah. romance yeah, yeah, element yeah. comes in. And then from then on out, he's, like, I will not touch you unless you give consent. And she's like, well, we both kind of hate each other, right? But they're like, we better ease our need. Is what they, they're always <laughs> like, our need. can I ease my need upon you? <laughs> Love it. Oh, my God, the I language. Can't, I can't wait for your favorite line. <laughs> um, okay, so ratings. Um, readability, 2.5. It was like oh, really bad. a slog. Okay. It, you know, it, I mean, I've read worse 
books. I will say <laughs> some of the like first romance quote unquote books mm-hmm. that I read way back in the day when mm-hmm. you first sent that <laughs> text to all of us I... were like hellaciously bad. But <laughs> this Let's is not talk about season one of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, it's all me. All anyway, me. You did no, 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 <laughs> no. This is I haven't even. This is before the podcast. I have, would never even talk about these books on the podcast. I'd be too embarrassed. Um, <laughs> Dirty billionaire. <laughs> yeah, that one was rough. That was bad. Um, hotness three, uh, um, and then romance two. Looking at it, I'm like maybe I could go higher. I don't know. I gave it a two point five. I'm overall. like, yes, it okay. could have been better with some editing mm. and like maybe a slightly lighter approach mm. it just is so dry um I yeah. just every week i'm like maybe we should be editors i know right <laughs> so good at like it. first i was like i should write novels i would be terrible <laughs> at writing novels now i'm like we should edit Tell novels other people how to write novels um i would yeah. also be terrible at that yeah <laughs> i'd just well, be like make better <laughs> make it better yeah don't like this um too many words so it actually was giving me one of the book series i read before we started the podcast is the bridge kingdom it's a duology just two books and it was like the light version of this. Oh, so I'm like, okay. if this sounds intriguing, but you aren't ready to commit to like a 500 some page uh-huh. epic fantasy, that would be a good way to go. Bridge mm. Kingdom has like very similar relationship dynamics. It's two books and they're both like 250 pages. Mm. Fast paced. Mm. Okay. Vibe check. Yeah. Hell no. Did it pass the vibe check in terms of consent warnings or um, content warnings? It did pass the vibe check in terms of, like, a nice, diverse cast of characters um, and that, like, women get to do things. That's always nice. Um, But (laughs) content warnings for domestic violence, rape, sexual assault, graphic violence. Um, Okay. Yeah. All the normal dark romance. Yeah. That's, like, that's the code word to look for on the Mm -hmm. back of the book. Yes. If you want to avoid those things. Dark romance is its own content warning. So. Um, Okay. Favorite line. I had a really hard time picking this one. I like kind of wanted to do one of the silly sex scenes, but they, I was like too embarrassed to read. They are pretty graphic. (laughs) Um, And so what I thought I would read is um, a little bit about um, Even's like experience as someone who has not had any sexual encounters, even solo ones. Mm. Um, she's not, I mean, like, you know, you fucking are raised in a tiny tower room with your mom. Like, you're not, yeah. She has not even touched herself. So, like, she has no idea how to understand her own feelings of desire. Um, Mm. and so this is after she basically, like, gives him that non-consensual handy. Okay. So... He has said, like, we're gonna, he can't, they can't have sex yet because of this, like, whole moon night whatever thing that like virgins have to have sex on a certain night of the month for their first time um and so they're waiting for that but um because they're like trying to make a baby for whatever political reasons um but anyway so she is he has said like i want you to go down on me tonight and she was like yes you shall ease your need upon me (laughs) (laughs) but so she's like waiting for him in the like upstairs room of an inn 
But then some of their, like, group comes in and has a threesome, like, while she's waiting for him in bed. Because they only have, like, one room to share between them. So it's, like, the two of the warriors from their, like, group, um, a man and a woman, basically, like, co-hit on a barmaid and, like, bring her up to bed. And they're fucking getting it on. And she's laying in bed, like, I'm so fucking horny and I don't know what this feeling is. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. twice there was a lull before another start and with more whispers and hushed laughter and soft cries finally all fell quiet on that side of the curtain as if each had found their release and never had even envied three people more because her body did not find the same ease never had she felt so hot yet she shivered uncontrollably at another murmur her eyes slitted open Kalir and ardal had Saurus's unclothed body tucked between theirs, and the prostrate barmaid already seemed asleep. Kalir's smile was a glint in the firelight as he bent his head to the other warriors, and despite their rivalry, Yven could not mistake the easy affection in their kiss. Both looked utterly pleased, content. And Yven was dying. How she wished to be lying as spent as the barmaid, but Ardal and Kalir had pleased her with tongue and cock, and Yven could do neither to herself. She could only clamp her hands between her thighs and pray to Mother Temra for mercy. Outside the eternal comfort of her arms, that goddess did not often grant it. Nor did she this night. Instead, the goddess sent Medic to the chamber door, and that was not mercy. Mm. So, anyway, they do have... What's I mean, it? no, it, it's, it sounds pretty good. It, uh, is, yeah. it is pretty well handled. And then he does like very carefully take her through like how she could pleasure herself and offers to do it for her. And like, it's, it's not in terms of like the kind of dark mm-hmm. romance that's out there. It's pretty gentle. Pretty so gentle. if you're like interested in a little bit of darkness, non-con, whatever, like, <laughs> yes, it's an, it's, it's a twilight. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, just be ready to also read, like, whatever, 20,000 words of high fantasy bullshit. (laughs) So, um, okay. For my deep dive, mine's pretty short today, but I wanted to talk a little bit about book covers and how they come to be. Oh my god, amazing. So, because I'm looking at this book cover, there's also, um, a couple more in this series, Uh and they all are same it's like a different dude on the cover of each book but they're all the same idea it's like a half naked man Uh uh-huh and i'm like okay i mean like i appreciate a half naked person but i'm like i really love how badass the female protagonist is in this and i would love to see like her on the cover or both of them or like i don't know like when i'm reading a book i'm kind of imagining myself in that world or whatever so I like the idea of seeing the character I, I identify with mm. on the cover, you know? Yeah, okay. Anyway, so I was, like, just looking at all the books that belong in this series and all the books by this author, and I'm like, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it's not, by far, it is not the worst I've seen. I mean, there's some bad ones out there. I just would never pick this up on my own, mm. you know? Like, it doesn't look like anything. Mm. Um, so it got it just got me thinking about book covers and all of that. So I have some sources, a New York, New Yorker article, um, the decline and fall of the book cover, which that title is redundant by Tim Kreider. (laughs) And and this, that whole article is kind of insufferable. So if you go looking for it, you've been warned, (laughs) but it did have some good information. Um, an article on bookriot.com authors don't have much control over their covers. Here's why by Sarah Nicholas, 
uh, a Writer's Digest article titled What Every Writer Should Know About Book Covers by Jessica Strausser. And the TikTok account at Casey Moses, so that's actually at underscore Casey Moses on TikTok, is uh, she is a book cover designer. So there's oh, a lot of really interesting. cool yeah, info on her account. Okay. So over the last year and like kind of in quarantine, me personally, I have dived back into reading in a huge way. Mm-hmm. And this podcast has definitely helped. Sure. Um, <laughs> and it, I mean, huge for me anyway. I read 50 books last year, mm-hmm. which I know that some people read way more than that. But that's a lot for me. That's a lot, yeah. um, And after p- picking up a book at our local bookstore, shout out to Annie Blooms, um, <laughs> on a post-holiday shopping trip last year, I just was like suddenly so into picking up new books again. Um, and that had been, I mean, I've always been a big reader, but like I had been doing a lot of rereading books over okay. the last decade. So like reading is like a comfort thing for me. So I would just like sure. pick up an old favorite and read it or listen to an old mm-hmm. favorite audiobook or whatever. Um, I hadn't read a lot of new books since college, which was probably like a hangover from having to read <laughs> so many books in college. Um, but over this last year, I've gotten most of my books from recommendations. So, like, ton of TikTok recommendations, Goodreads, uh, friends and family. Like, I haven't done a lot of browsing, which is different than how I used to pick books. Like, I am definitely, like, a go into the bookstore, go to the staff pick section. Mm-hmm. Like, that's – and, like, pick books up. And, like, I love to, like, walk along shelves and touch books and smell books and, like, kind of be a big weirdo. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'll, like, read anything that's been recommended to me. I don't care what it looks like. If someone said, like, you should read this, it's good. Um, but I am – in the past, I've been very susceptible to a good cover mm-hmm. um, and, like, a nice binding. Um, I do like a certain kind of book smell. I love to hold hardcovers, but I don't actually like to read them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I also leave the dust jackets on when I read hardcovers. Do you do that? Um, I'm trying to think of the last hardcover I read. Yeah. Like, usually, no, it's too annoying. Yeah. I have to take it off. I, it's like, I, I know, because it, it gets everywhere. Yeah. So it's hard. I to... use it as my bookmark. I leave it on. Anyway. Oh, I okay, I have done that. Yeah. But I feel like it gets to a point where you're like, once you get into like the middle, you can't quite like use it anymore. Then you use the back one. Okay. But like, <laughs> I'm like that's sometimes they're like a too big, big moment. It's true. Like if it's a really thick, <laughs> yeah. thick boy. Um so I love mass market paperbacks actually like this. Yeah. Um, the little bricks. <laughs> um and I love how they age and like get all soft. Mm-hmm. My Terry Pratchett books are like basically oh. velvet at this point. They're like so my Harry Potter books. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, but my favorite paperbacks are actually um, like the really floppy ones, where you like they're not the mass market. They're the like modern. Okay. So like more like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, makes that sound. Because um, <laughs> I love less how you thick. can. Yes, they're... less thick. Yeah. Um, and I love how you can yep. wrap the yeah. But I guess I saw a TikTok about that, too, whether they're floppy or not. Actually, it doesn't have to do with, like, the size or the thickness. It has to do with which direction the paper is cut. So, like, if it's cut on the grain, it's floppy. If it's cut against the grain, it's stiff. Anyway. Grain of the Yeah, I didn't even know paper had grain, like like fabric. Yeah. Anyway. Right, but fabric is made of, like, 
long strings of paper is made of like pulp, which is like blended. Yeah, I mean, do not ask me to elaborate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, all that to say, I totally get why covers are vital to the success of a book, right? Like how a book is presented. Yeah, especially for an unknown author. Because it's like, you know, if you're fucking... Uh-huh. Whatever. Super popular author. People are just going to buy your shit. They don't care what the cover looks like. Well, yeah. And that's because stores put it, like, in your Front eye and line. center. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know the name. Like, if you've yeah. seen the name, you're like, oh, people like this, so maybe I'll like it. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but authors get almost no say in their covers. Um, a lot more people than you might think are involved in the cover selection process also. Um, so if you look at the back cover or copyright page of a book, you'll usually see at least a designer um, and an artist credited on the cover art. So like here, I'm holding Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers. It says cover art by Poppy Magda and cover design by Gigi Lau. Hmm. So even, I actually noticed that like a while back. And I had always just, like, assumed that, like, one person designed covers and, like, did the whole thing. And that was, like, a job. Yeah. Um, But that is not the case. Um, So there's a designer who manages the concept, layout, and overall direction. And they may make font selections and placement decisions. But that's usually different from the actual artist or photographer who creates the imagery. That makes sense to me. It totally does. So like with this one, with the Heart of Blood and Ashes, you know, this has an actual photograph on it. So it's like there would have been a designer and then a photographer and a set designer and a stylist to like pick the thing. a casting director. Yep. Yeah. It's like so many people involved in it. Um, And then the, so anyway, winding it back a little bit, the whole process begins with an initial meeting between designer, publisher, agent, and marketing department not the author yeah um to determine title and subtitle so like the author usually doesn't even get to determine the title title. yeah Yeah. um then there will be like a series of design presentations where the designer will suggest different directions to take the overall look of the cover and binding and then they pick one and like refine it down and generally the author isn't a part of this process at all hardly any authors are given approval um, but many are given what's called like consultation rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so meaning they don't have any actual sway, but they may be given a chance to voice their opinion. Generally, that seems to come after like basically all the decisions have been made and they might be allowed to influence like very small changes mm-hmm. like color alterations or whatever to refine the look. But that's it. Um, and by the time they actually see it, it's probably already been through a bunch of iterations that they'll never even know right. anything yeah. about. Um, so as Tim Kreider notes in his New Yorker article, covers have become a bit boring these days. Um, book covers have moved through many trends throughout the decades and have actually always been like a bit same samey. Um, Mm -hmm. he mentioned how amazing all the sci-fi and fantasy book covers of his youth were. So that's like in the sixties and seventies. Um, and while I don't disagree, like there are a lot of great covers from that time they're all kind of the same as each other. Like, they're all these illustrated, like, kind of creepy, ominous covers. They're all Mm -hmm. this, they have very similar color stories. Um, And so, you know, I, I, like, get what he's saying. They're cooler than what's out there now, but they weren't, like, it wasn't like there was a huge, diverse group of covers back then. Right. Well, 
You're probably going to get into this. No, go ahead. I was going to say, like, I have always thought that, like, the sameness was, like, on purpose. Yes. Well, and he talks about that, like, it should, your book should stand out, but not too much. Like, it should look familiar. Yes. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, a hit song that, like, you know, it shouldn't be too. It should hit the same notes yeah. as, like, other books or songs in it the should genre. should familiar. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Like, people should know what they're getting into when uh-huh. they buy a book based yeah. on the cover, right? Um, but so he complains specifically about how most books in his genre of like memoir, comedy, and sort of rambling nonfiction tend to be one of the following. So he says they're either one, nothing but text, usually on a white background, two, a single object, presumably some visual synecdoche for the book's subject or theme set against a white background. The template here is every cover by Malcolm Gladwell from the match on the tipping point through the sneaker on what the dog saw. Mm. And that one is actually, so I tried to find this, but doesn't seem to be out there anymore. But I saw it referenced in a bunch of the articles I read. There was like a Malcolm Gladwell cover generator online (laughs) where you could like put in whatever you wanted and it would like make up a book title and cover. It's just hilarious. Um, Or three, the face of the author, which indicates either A, a brand name, celebrity writer, Oh, whoops, I cut off the rest of that quote. Oh. <laughs> anyway, it's like, uh, if you're famous, you get your face on it. Okay. Um, and he laments the demise of the illustrated cover, which I definitely see a lot of, but my own bookcase is, like, not indicative of that at all, because my bookcase is filled with fantasy, sci-fi, romance, and YA. And what he's talking about is, like, literary fiction, nonfiction, and, like, memoirs, which is, like... What I don't read. <laughs> Romance is a lot of illustration. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and if there is a place where the illustrated cover is not yet dead, it's definitely romance and YA. And YA yeah. yeah. And I've got a few old-fashioned bodice rippers on my shelf, but my romance is overwhelmingly covered with cutely graphic yep. illustrated people, just like Honey Girl. The style of our podcast. Yes. Uh, artwork that's what we based it on (laughs) yes our logo yeah (laughs) yeah totally and so it's like but i will say if any genre is killing the cover game it's ya their cover like the book that you read yeah it was fucking gorgeous color cover um and they just like feature a rich range of like riotously colorful graphic cover art that like really draws colors are back haven't you heard? <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, but it, it that kind of brings me back to one more quote of um, Tim Crider's from his article in The New Yorker. Um, quote, for some reason, children's books, YA literature, and genre fiction, mm-hmm. romance, um, still have license to beguile their readers with gorgeous co- cover illustrations. But mature readers aren't supposed to require such enticements. For serious literature to pander to us with mm. cosmetic allurements would be somehow tacky or uncool. The more important a book is, the less likely there is to be anything at all on its cover. Unquote. It's so pretentious. Like. I know. But it's, he. I mean, like, that whole article is pretentious, but that is definitely true. And that mm-hmm. is also, like, the whole idea that, like, a book shouldn't look like it's too much fun. You know, I don't have to trying too hard. If it's trying too hard, then it must not, like, stand on its own. Right. Or <laughs> if the book is fun to read, then it's not worth reading. Like, things oh, are only yeah, worth yeah, yeah. doing when they're uncomfortable or painful Ugh. or difficult, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's what I have in my notes here. Anything that is easy or too much fun is thought to be unsophisticated. And that goes across all forms of media. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, anyway, 
So next time you decide you hate a book cover or that it isn't representative of what the book really is, just remember that the author had nothing, had nothing to do with to it. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I love that. Um, um, yeah. That uh, it kind of reminds me of um, so when I did uh, like the Hallmark movie mm-hmm. dive, they had yeah. like a listicle that I didn't end up including, but it was like Hallmark movie cover. Mm-hmm. So it's like basically the same thing as like a book cover, but it was like the Hallmark movie po- movie poster. Yeah, movie poster. Movie yeah, poster. yeah, totally. And it was like all like white people standing back to back looking at each other. <laughs> totally. I can picture like, so many already. It's like the same kind of like ideas there. And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, not even just Hallmark movies. That's like any rom-com. Well, I mean, you can tell a lot about a movie or what they think mm-hmm. they want you to think about a movie based on the movie poster. And it's like very the same as yes. novels. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. And I mean, that. You could do like an entire, I don't know, uh, dissertation on. Oh yeah, like what <laughs> what marketing people mm-hmm. think we want when we're buying something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it's all fascinating, and it makes me happy that my bookcase is full of beautifully illustrated yeah. covers. And YA is like really fucking killing the game. Yeah, I mean, I have so many. All my YA books are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I actually ordered two more books today that I found out about doing this From deep that. dive that I'm just like, that's pretty and I want it. I want it. No, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I always love more work for artists anyway. Yes. So, so yeah. I love that so many artists are involved in that process and like making money. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's all I had. Great. Um, What are you reading next week? All oh, right. Okay. Let me pull it up. So next week, I am reading It Takes Two to Tumble by Cat Sebastian. Oh, I have a book by Cat Sebastian I've been waiting to read. All right. Um, but I'm <laughs> Is not, it this one? I'm not reading it this week. Okay. <laughs> um, so this week, I am reading Not the Witch You Wed by April Asher. Oh, and that is a beautifully illustrated cover. I love the color scheme. <laughs> the color scheme is amazing. Actually, when you look kind of closely, I feel like it's like a bit of a Monet. Like up close, it kind of is a mess. <laughs> like his face is kind of scary. <laughs> but from far away, it looks great. <laughs> I'm getting a little bit of like Andy from Parks and Rec vibes. Yeah, like he's real sloppy upon close inspection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, we'll see you next week. See ya.